1: Ah uh, Yes, welcome
2: back in to the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Good to be back with Paulson, a.k.a. John Lewis, from the site. I am merely T.J. Reeves, somewhat rested, but very much amped up. i got to confess something as we began on the latest show. we got Game 4, Tampa Bay Lightning. Champa Bay Lightning and New York Rangers tonight. I'm a bit distracted. I'm normally kind of ADD as it is, but I'm a bit distracted before tonight's game at the time that we're releasing the podcast. Now, if you're hearing the podcast on Wednesday or later in the week you know if tj's in a good mood or not or you know that the rangers are up 3-1 and tj's not happy mrs reeves may be taking it harder than me by the way if the if the the lightning don't win again big game for the two-time champs coming on tuesday night we'll see how that goes that's kind of how we begin the podcast because that's the mode that i'm in john first of all good to be back with you how are you feeling as we begin a new week here in the month of june
3: well you know uh I don't know. Good question. Uh, you know, I'm here, right? That's uh, the only answer that uh, one can give. Uh, just, uh, yeah, that pretty much covers it.
2: All right. So another another week and we're ready to uh, to roll. Lots to cover here. And we've got a special guest that's joining us. Uh, that broke a tremendous story in sports media, at least in this country, if not worldwide, involving Phil Mickelson. Uh, in terms of getting the first interview with Mickelson, now that he is leaving the PGA Tour and electing to play in this new Live Golf League that is funded uh, by the Saudis and the and the uh, and the and the big money fund that's out there, so Phil is going to play in their first event coming this weekend in London. And Bob Herrig will be here with us. Bob, the longtime former golf writer with ESPN and on ESPN TV, ESPN.com. Now with Sports Illustrated, SI.com. He will be with us on the show. Look forward to that. Reminder, by the way, however you found us, John's site, social media link, Etc. Make sure you're following or subscribing. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify. Follow, subscribe. So many of you are finding us from this show, from George Offman's show. Tell me a story I don't know. He's got Wayne Mesmer, the longtime tremendous anthem voice of the Chicago Blackhawks and the Chicago Bulls, uh, as his guest for this week. Uh, also, this the uh, the announcer schedules podcast as well. Mike Gill and Phil Demont Mullen are on that uh, podcast, and they they do a tremendous job talking about the announcers of the game. It's all part of this Sports Media Watch feed that you're on right now. Make sure you follow or subscribe. You get all of those shows. Whenever there's a new episode out, you don't even have to have a social media link tell you that it's there. It's all good. So we're good on that. Uh, we're good with the growing audience. Thank you. Make sure that you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That'll help more people see us. Go give us a rating and a review. I've seen some people, John Lewis, that are rating and reviewing us, so that's a good thing in building up the podcast uh as well all right so we have that uh done uh before we get to bob in a little bit let's begin with the nba at the time that we're taping the season uh the series now evened up at a game apiece golden state winning big in game number two. First thing out of the box you've written about this on the site but for the audience here on the podcast how are the ratings doing early on what do we know about the game two number and what do we think what do we make of this john
3: well, the numbers are not nearly what I think people would have expected going in. So a 6.4 rating for game one and a 6.2 for game two, both games averaging 11.9 million viewers. That's obviously not what one would expect for the Golden State Warriors being there. Now, are these bad numbers? You know, by, the, by today's standards, these are excellent numbers. But, you know, I mean, you could say that about last year's World Series, too. Now, certainly the NBA is a lot better than the World Series in the demos, right? Uh, games one and two had ratings of 3.0 and 3.1 and 18 to 34. The equivalent World Series games, I think, were like in the one point something range in that demo. So certainly from the demographic perspective, the NBA is, I would say, still pretty darn healthy. But, you know, when you go back three years and you're seeing demo ratings in the fours, And household ratings in, you know, 7.9 and 8.0 viewership, 13 million without out of home, nearly 14 million for game two. And that was a series involving Toronto. I mean, you know, that, that to me is, is, is notable. Now the, the NBA ultimately can say that, well, TV is not being viewed in the same way. People are not watching as much TV. They are correct. Right. Mm -hmm. Primetime viewing levels are down 26% from the same period in 2019. But we know that that 2019 number was depressed. We know that that 2019 number was not normal because Toronto was there. So you could say, well, there was more TV viewing back in 2019. Yes, but the finals also had a, you know, a mitigating factor that it does not have right now. So, you know, to me, Celtics Warriors, look, the reality is, those of us of a certain age might be overstating the relevance of the Boston Celtics as a story and a brand. You know, the reality is Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they have no connection to, you know, Garnett, Allen, and Pierce. Certainly have no connection to Bird, McHale, and Parrish. Certainly have no connection to Russell, Kuzi, Haplechek. You know, I mean. Great point. they're, They're called the Celtics, Right. We have all agreed as sports fans and the author Aaron Tarver talks about this a bit in the I team. We have all agreed as sports fans that we acknowledge this Celtics is that Celtics. But for the casual fan, that's not true. Right. You know, for the casual fan, this is who? Jalen Brown. Wait, you mean Jalen Rose? Wait, Jason Tatum. I mean, they don't know who these guys are. Right. Uh, And so, you know, maybe we overstated the importance of the Celtics. As for the Warriors, there's been a lot of comparing Steph Curry to Michael Jordan as a draw. He's not. He's Mm -hmm. not Michael Jordan. You notice in those commercials for Crypto.com, Shaq is doing the voiceover. Shaq has to say Steph Curry's name. They never say Shaq's name in the commercial. Because everybody knows that that Shaq's voice And there are people in this country who do not know who Steph Curry is. There are. Everyone in this country, not everybody, but I think if we're talking Q ratings, I think people know LeBron more than they know Steph. And this is in this big debate for many years. Well, who's a bigger draw, LeBron or Steph? The reality is that the Warriors have been a bigger draw than LeBron's teams in recent years. But on an individual basis, I believe that we have exited a LeBron era. My argument is 2009 to 2018 is as much the LeBron era as you know we saw the Jordan era, the Magic and Bird era. And while there were true all-time greats winning titles during the LeBron era, so that would be obviously Kobe Bryant, uh, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, it was the LeBron era. 2009 to 2018 was the LeBron era. It ended the very moment that J.R. Smith did that nonsense at the end of game one. But realistically, uh, it ended the very moment LeBron signed with the Los Angeles Lakers. That was the end of the LeBron era. It was the end of LeBron being the guy, one. And it was also kind of for the NBA. It put the NBA into a transition period. So, you know, I find it very interesting There's very evenly divided four-year runs with LeBron because of the NBA CBA. Four years in Miami, four years in Cleveland, four years in LA. Four years in Miami, in the finals every year. Uh, Very dramatic series. uh, A lot of emotion, a lot of, frankly, nonsense, uh, a lot of Stephen A. and Skip. uh, And uh, the ratings were very good compared to where the NBA was coming from. They weren't the same as certainly in the Jordan era, but given where the NBA was coming from and given the fact that they played Oklahoma City and San Antonio three out of those four years, those are pretty good ratings. Uh, Then the next four years, Cleveland, Golden State every single year. So I do not believe that Steph is the same level of draw that LeBron was in his prime. And I I simply don't believe that. But certainly when you have LeBron versus Steph, it's like when you had Jordan versus Barkley. Like you know, that was the highest rated of the well, the 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 last dance was the highest rated. But outside of that, the highest rated series Gordon was in was against Barkley because Barkley was a huge star. There's a reason why he's so popular now. Is because he was always extremely popular.
2: But let's go back to one thing. I love the I love the line of uh, thinking that you have here, and you've articulated this on previous podcasts. The dream team in and around that time. Uh, that did wonders for Barkley to be part of that with Bird and Magic. Bird symbolically he couldn't play anymore; his back was so bad, and he retired later that summer. But Magic uh, was playing there, even with the HIV status. Jordan there, right off the title. Pippen there, right off the title, playing the Olympics. That elevated Barkley, and the very next year, Barkley and the Suns are in the finals against Jordan. After we just watched them in the Olympics, kind of the same way. It's not. It's not the same dynamic here. The Warriors have won titles. You're not saying he's not popular. I get what right. you're saying, Steph Curry. You're saying he he's not as popular, not as mega, or maybe right. worldwide popular, but still popular nonetheless. Let me ask you this: It was not a very close game Sunday night. Uh, it was a decisive win by the by the Warriors. And I have preached this, and I heard you articulating it last week. They are taking so much time in between games. Are they yeah. killing their own momentum? That the game game three is not until when? John, is Come it on. July? Yeah, is it August? Tomorrow. What is it tomorrow night tomorrow night. Oh, tomorrow night? Okay, yeah. we're going to take three nights off and mm. then the, and
3: then the game four is like on the weekend, right? It's Friday. So there's no, only one Friday. day between okay. a three and a four. But, you know, you make a great point. Um, look, so as far as Steph goes, we have had two finals now with just Steph and not even Katie is there because remember Katie was hurt against Toronto. Uh, So here are the ratings for Game 1, Cavs-Warriors, all those four years. Game 1, 10.6, 11.1, 10.5, 10. Here are the ratings, Warriors-Raptors Game 1, 7.9. Now, the thought process was, well, Toronto. And that was my thought process up until this past week was, well, Toronto was there. Celtics-Warriors, 6.4. Obviously, there's a big issue with the erosion of TV viewing. There's a big issue with the fact that the NBA is not as popular now, really, as it was in 2019 just generally. But it's also the simple reality that I think we have overrated how much Steph as an individual draws people into their TV sets. Because the fact of the matter is the great Warriors teams in terms of drawing power were the ones with Durant and the one that won 73 games. They just happen to be back to back to back years. But those were the three big Warrior straws. Now, the Warriors have drawn well independently of that. They're the biggest draw in the NBA. But when we're making our historical comparison, Steph is the biggest individual draw in the NBA, and the Warriors are the biggest draw in the NBA right now. But do they compare to what the NBA had when it had LeBron from 2011 to 18? I don't think so. And I think ultimately... You could say, well, didn't LeBron just play in a finals that was the lowest rated ever? Yeah, he did. Now, granted, that was the bubble. That was not just a bubble, but it was October and September. It was Trump is in the hospital. There's an election in a month. Like, there's any litany of excuses that are legitimate. But I would also just say, you know, and I felt this way before COVID. The Lakers weren't going to draw as well as the Cavs. The Lakers weren't drawing as well as the Cavs. The LeBron era ended when he signed with the Lakers, and they are not the draw that LeBron's Cavs were or that LeBron's Heat were. So ultimately, the NBA is in the same kind of transition period right now. And I don't think people really realized it because COVID kind of covered it up because you had all of these obvious reasons why the ratings were were down. So the NBA is in the exact same transition period. It was from 1999 through about really 2008. It took a while the last time. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were lucky they got LeBron just very quickly into that. And it took a while for LeBron to become what he became, you know, right now, what Zion, we know Zion's not going to become that guy. He's been in the league for three years, but it's the entire year. I mean, you never know, but it, it seems unlikely. Uh, and so, you know, it might be an even longer period, right? These, this things, these kinds of things happen. IndyCar is still waiting to get back to, you know, the Danica levels of 2005, right? They're still waiting to get back to the level that they had before the split. You know, baseball is still waiting to get back to where it was. Red Sox, Yankees, you know, nearly 20 years ago. Right. You know, there's no guarantee you get back to where the NBA was really, really lucky to get, you know, Kobe and LeBron in every single solitary finals from 2007 to 18. And I call it the LeBron era, and I, I do believe it was the LeBron era, but it was the LeBron era that also had Kobe and Steph and KD, the same way the Jordan era had Barkley and Akeem and Reggie and Patrick Ewing.
2: One more, and then I want to move on to the announcers, and then again we got a special guest coming as well. Uh, the love-hate, easier to hate in the air quotes, LeBron for all the winning or whatever the reasons. I don't know that there's a lot of – we talked about hate factor – of the Celtics just in the markets like New York or Philadelphia or Washington, D.C. They hate the Celtics. The love to hate Steph Curry, I don't know that there's a hate. He's such a likable guy, family guy. I just hate him, hate air quotes because they win all the time. Does it hurt a little bit that there's not a hate factor against Steph Curry? Your opinion, John Lewis?
3: Well, love is always good. Now, of course, can you have love in such a cynical society, right? The mm-hmm. worship of Jordan was something that could not exist today. You want to be like Mike? You want to play a song like that about LeBron? People would throw their TVs in the, in the garbage. <laughs> they'd, they'd lose their mind. You know? And the, the fact is that we are, it's so odd because the 90s was such a profoundly cynical decade in so many ways. And yet probably the last decade where open adulation of the rich and famous was still acceptable, right? Uh, just, it, it's it's fascinating. Uh, And you didn't have the same level of hate back then. Skip Bayless, no one knew his name. What a wonderful time to be alive, huh? And, uh, you know, um, the reality is that, you know, Steph is loved, but I don't know that love makes people say, I'm going to sit down in my home and watch two and a half hours of basketball that I wouldn't have watched otherwise. I don't know that love does that. Um, I think I'm still
2: old enough. Can I interject to remember they hated Michael Jordan in Detroit Celtic Mm -hmm. fans hated him for beating the Celtics. They Mm -hmm. would tune in to see can the Suns can the Blazers can the jazz can somebody beat them. I don't know. Again, I don't know. I don't know. Are they tuning in to see can the Celtics knock off Steph? Is there enough of that? I don't know that that's there. No,
3: There isn't no nobody. LeBron losing was like a, a carnival for folks. No one cares if Steph loses. I, I don't even really think people care if Steph wins. I think mm-hmm. his career is kind of set. Everyone's kind of got their opinion of him that's not going to be changing, and he's he's accomplished everything he needs to accomplish. So it's certainly nobody cares to see Steph lose. That that, that just doesn't exist.
2: All right. The uh, the other variable that we did not know on last week's podcast was the COVID status. Uh, Of Mike Breen, the longtime play-by-play announcer for ABC ESPN. Breen not able to work game two still because of the after effects of having COVID-19. Jeff Van Gundy did return. John, what are your thoughts real quick? Because the belief is the regular broadcast crew will be back moving forward. We don't know that for sure, but that's the belief as we release the podcast. What are your thoughts, John?
3: Well, you know. The fact of the matter is you get, you know, Breen, Van Gundy and Jackson are taken for granted, mainly because, you know, Van Gundy and Jackson go off on these ridiculous tangents all the time and it can take away from the game. But the fact of the matter is it's not dissimilar from inside the NBA, where if you take one of them out, it doesn't work. Uh, So two of them out for game one, that did not work at all. It was improved on Sunday by having Van Gundy there. You realize the value of Jeff Van Gundy by having him miss a game like that. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing with Mark Jones. You know, I talked about this before the game and, you know, Mark going into uh, the vocabulary, going into the, uh, the thesaurus, he got himself into some trouble with the insurrection comment, you know? And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, Honestly, I'm going to say something about uh, Mark Jones really quickly here and the insurrection thing. So this is when he referred to the Celtics comeback as an insurrection in game one. We often assume in situations like this that, oh, yep, he definitely meant what we think he meant. I don't know that that's true. I mean, I feel the same way about like Jim Cott. Obviously, what he said was really weird about Nestor Cortez. Like, why in the world would you ever say that? and it was appropriate. do I believe he had malign intent? Honestly, I really don't. I don't think he had malign intent when he said that stuff about 40 acres. And I don't think necessarily that Mark Jones had malign intent when he said insurrection. We know he is digging into the thesaurus for every single you know, academic journal article word that he can find, right? He wants it to sound like you are trying to power through some, some academic article for <laughs> class, for grad school. I, I said it on the
2: show last week here on the podcast: 27 words when 10 will do. Yeah. You often get yourself in trouble
3: with yeah. that. But do I think that he was trying to invoke the insurrection at the Capitol? I my general thought, even if it makes me naive or whatever, is that most people are not out of their mind. So my assumption is going to be that no, he was just it just happened to come out. Let me out give you
2: an way. example. I happen to know this. I'm a bit of a savant like you, and then we'll kind of move along here. And we got a special guest coming up. Uh, I happen to be somewhere on a Tampa Bay Buccaneer road trip with my with my radio guys and with everybody and around the the uh, the traveling party for the Bucks, getting ready to do the radio broadcast. Somewhere this is pre Tom Brady, a couple of years ago. Florida State, obviously popular in my state, is playing Georgia Tech. It is it is a game that Mark Jones is doing the play by play on. And in the biggest moment of the game where Florida State was going for like a game winning field goal or a game tying field goal, Georgia, Georgia Tech blocks the field goal. You know where I'm going with this, runs it in, and Mark Jones does the what a time to be alive line. Yeah. All right. That went around everywhere. About three or four of my colleagues went, What is that stupid comment? And I at least had enough sense to know he is quoting a rap, a, a hip hop right. lyric. That's what it is. He's showing pop culture to the younger crowd, and he worked in what a time to be alive on a blocked kick return for a touchdown. So I happened to get that one that night. I'm just throwing that in for context while we're talking about going to these different things when he did that night, because there were people around me that went, what is he talking about on that? Just thought I'd share it.
3: I always thought that was a good call. Uh, Where does that rank? Is that uh, worse than losing to wake forest at home 30 to nothing or or better (laughs) for
2: Florida state fans? They've had a lot of embarrassing moments lately. They've been humbled by, uh, by a lot of things,
3: but you know, I mean, look, uh, when it comes to Mark and his uh, you know, the catchphrases, the hip, the hip references to things that like young people are into, it reminds me a lot of Stuart Scott and, you know, Stuart Scott got a lot of heat, including from me, for the catchphrases, for the pop culture references, and it caused people, critics, to not give him his due for the great things that he was doing in highlights, for the fact that you would hear more stats in his highlights and, and they were worked in, not shoehorned in, but they were worked in so smoothly you didn't even realize you were getting the information. You know? And so I don't wanna repeat that mistake with Mark Jones. I just feel like, I will say, I'm not going to criticize him for the catchphrases, although he goes, he he forces it too often. He used the line uh, "NBA stands for Never Broke Again." He used that line twice in the postseason. People notice on social media. People are watching. If you're if you're a junkie, you're watching all these games. So, oh, you use that line again. Right. And that's another, I think, rap lyric. I think that's what NBA Young Boy stands for is never broke again. I guess that's how he avoids the copyright or trademark violation there. I don't mean NBA. I mean never broke again. Right. Right. Um, So, you know, and the other thing too, I don't know how much young people really appreciate it when like people who are 60 or even people who are 30 are like really trying to pander to them by being cool. I feel like young people find that uh, in their in their uh, vernacular, they find that to be cringe, right? So, you know, uh, I, I feel like he's he's got to tone down some of the catchphrases, but he absolutely has to tone down the, 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 uh, the grad school stuff. Uh, the fact of the matter is there's nothing worse in academia than the, you know, the tyranny of the big words brigade who feel like, Every single journal article should be indecipherable to anyone outside of academia, right? I mean, it's, it's not something that you want to do in academia, and I don't think you want to do it in sports either.
2: And as we do continue, as I mentioned, I love the relationship that I have with this guy. Uh, He still returns my text message and my phone call, even though I've been bothering him for like 20 plus years. Bob Herrig does a tremendous job writing golf, did it many years for ESPN. And you may be aware that Bob is now with Sports Illustrated SI.com. If you were not aware of that, uh, you are now. And Bob has broken a tremendous story because he got the first comments from Phil Mickelson in the golf world uh, in somewhat, Bob, four months since Phil has talked, and Phil now joining the new Live Golf series uh, that is that is the Breakaway League that is causing all kinds of wrinkle on the PGA Tour. So, Bob, welcome to the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Uh, it is great to have you, and I know at the time we're talking, you've been inundated. You have flown to England as well to cover this first event. What have the last 24 hours or so been like for you? Were you intending to cover this tournament all along, or did it suddenly become Phil is in along with Dustin Johnson and I'm headed there to London? How did it work, sir?
0: No, we, we made the decision several weeks ago to come. Um, it just seemed like it was going to be enough of an interesting uh, story to be here even without Phil or without Dustin Johnson. Frankly, we didn't know either of these guys were playing until recently. We kind of thought Phil might. Dustin Johnson was a last-minute surprise. And then you throw in a few other guys like Sergio Garcia, uh, Louis Oosthuizen, Martin Keimer, Charles Schwartzel. Those guys have all won majors. And, uh, you know, there's what? um, Oh, I don't know. There's, I guess there's 17 of the top 100 in the world. You know, it's on the PGA Tour, that wouldn't be considered great. But for this, it's pretty good because they've had to really do some arm twisting and obviously paying out a lot of money. There's a perceived um, danger in doing this because you might not have a way back to the PGA Tour. So long story short, made the call to come a, a while back. And, you know, in the last 24 hours, I mean, Phil committed on, on, uh, on Monday afternoon, Um, as I was getting ready to come over here, I had a pretty good feeling that was going to happen. Um, they also announced their broadcast team, which, you know, to some people is a big deal in golf. People care a lot about who's doing the telecast because they complain a lot when it doesn't go right. So that was important. And then, you know, I had sort of all along you know, every now and then I made an inquiry about trying to get Phil, just like I'm sure a lot of my colleagues have done. And, you know, it really wasn't getting anywhere. Phil went completely off the grid. February 22nd. That's and look how long ago that is now. Uh, four, four months ago. Um, he. He. Uh, he issued a statement, basically apologizing for what had gone on. His comments about Saudi, his comments about the PGA Tour. He, dropped, he lost a lot of sponsors. He said, "I need, I need to do some introspection. I need to work on myself. Need to step away for a little while." He did not issue a statement when he didn't play the Masters. He did not issue a statement when he didn't play the PGA Championship, where he was defending. You know, he won the PGA to become the oldest major winner just last year. We forget that because of all this, didn't say anything until Monday when he released a statement that he was back. And I had gotten word Sunday that he might be willing to talk to me. And the live golf people who I've gotten to know very well over the last nine months, because I've tried to stay on top of this. And it's not favoritism. It's just, I have been wanting to stay in the know on this, because I just sensed this was going to be a big deal. So anyway, obviously, Liv Golf wanted to get Phil's word out there. I think Phil wanted to do it as a bit of a pre, you know, preemptive move. He's going to meet the media Wednesday for a full press conference. And by talking to one person, you know, it takes a little bit of the air out of the balloon for him. Because now he's sort of answered some of these questions. He'll get them again. He'll get them in different forms. He might get some other ones that I didn't ask. I tried like heck to ask as many as I could in the allotted time I had. I was actually in the Detroit airport. I was about to ask you, where did you pull this off? So you're in the
2: Detroit airport. Take us through that on when it came about and how you accomplished the interview, Bob.
0: Well, I was, you know, I was to fly over here to Heathrow. I had a flight from Tampa. Tampa to, to Heathrow through Detroit and as I was on the plane I got word from one of the live golf representatives we're going to try to get you set up with him during your layover huh well okay <laughs> I had like a really less than a two-hour layover and you know my my wi-fi on the flight to Detroit was kind of spotty I was really worried about my Wi-Fi on the flight from Detroit to Heathrow. Who knows how that's going to go. So basically I went in the Delta Sky Club. I got on a conference call. Phil called in. We exchanged a few pleasantries. He actually asked me about my book, which I thought was funny because I just wrote a book that came out about Tiger and Phil. And and Phil, you know, Phil didn't help me for that book. Um not, not defiantly. He just, it just never happened. We, we never got together. He never made it work. And of course, as you know, he talked to a biographer and it really backfired on him, you know? So that's why we're part of the reason why we're in this mess with him. But anyway, you know, I've known Phil a long time. He's always been good to me. And I think his people sort of trusted me to just handle this in a way like I did just to get it out there. And so I, I think it was 10 after 5 eastern time i got in. i got in with him and i was we were done at 5 30 and now the the format of this was 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 a q a well i i didn't record it i was just taking notes as best i could on my computer wow. and i um you know i've gotten good at that decent decent enough but still there's a ton of typos and i had sort of written an intro and i re-messed with that but i it's five 30 and my flight's at six 40. And for an international flight, you with not being there 30 minutes ahead at the gate. So it's six Oh five and I'm not quite done. And so I sent it to my editor and I, you're just going to have to clean up a lot of these typos. I get down to the gate and they hadn't started boarding yet. So I went and finished it up myself and sent it again. And, um, and I think we had the story up by like seven o'clock. So, I mean, from, you know, in less than two hours, it went from having nothing to, you know, kind of this story that, that made the rounds. I mean, you know, like you said, nobody's talked to Phil in all that time. Um, you know, I wish I had a little bit more time. I wish I could have grilled him on a few more things, but he was generally very good. No questions were off the table. I asked him about his gambling. He was very forthcoming about that. That was probably the biggest takeaway from it. He he admitted he had a he had had a bad gambling problem. He was embarrassed by it. He said it's embarrassing that so many people know. You know, um, I hurt people because of this. So anyway, it was, um, you know, in our little world in golf, it was it was it was a pretty
2: save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. It was a big deal. And uh, we love Bob Herrig of SI.com being with us on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. John Lewis has been chomping at the bit to ask a question, John, go right ahead.
3: Well, you know, these are always very interesting circumstances where you have an athlete who's kind of fallen from grace in their first interview back. How do you balance as a reporter, you know, drawing out those questions that ultimately everybody has, while at the same time not, you know, doing what, you know, Jim Gray did to Pete Rose at the uh, World Series.
0: Yeah, in other words, ambushing him, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, th- the thing here is that I think Phil knew what was coming. You know, I talked to one of his publicists before. Um, I, was, I was leery about being, you know, a little bit maybe censored even, like, are they going to not let me ask stuff? And they said, no, you're you're free to ask whatever you want. He's 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 ready. He's he wants to talk about this stuff. So, you know, I asked him the Saudi question. That's a big, that's a big question in this whole thing. The backing of the tour is basically almost exclusively through the public investment fund, which is Saudi's sovereign wealth fund. And there's just a lot of people out there who are not going to have any regard for these guys because of it. They they feel that they're taking blood money. Now look, I could I can try to maybe explain it away. The 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 PIF as it's called is a is 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 a autonomous you know investment fund that invests in companies all around the world, including a lot of American companies. Um, you know, a lot of American companies are in Saudi. Uh, a lot of American companies are in China. Uh, I mean, like there's a lot of whataboutism that goes on with these things in sports. Uh, but the bottom line is, is he got a bunch of guys who are going to get paid handsomely to do this. And Padre Carrington at the PJ Championship a couple of weeks ago was asked about this. And he had a very good take on it. He said, you know, eventually the moral outrage will die down. It, it'll just it'll just go away. He said there's a lot of nuance to this stuff. Um, the bottom line is we're golfers and he's not part of it. You know, he's so, I. you know, he's, he has a lot more credibility when, when you're not part of these, the bottom line is we're golfers. We go where they give us where they have tournaments and put up prize money. And, um, you know, you can take this farther. Live golf had to hire a lot of people to put this on, you know, you got to have a lot of people to run tour tournaments and, you know, set them up and sell tickets and advertising and try to sell a TV deal. Um, And, uh, you know, maybe for some of those people, these are great opportunities. So do you begrudge them because of where the money's coming from or, um, you know, uh, another example is caddies. If I'm a caddy for a golfer and he decides he's going to go play in one of these tournaments, what am I going to do? Say, no, I don't want to go there. Well, you might lose your job. You know, I mean, so my whole thing on this is while of course we hate what's going on in Saudi Arabia and we nobody wants to for one second condone you know some of some of their lifestyle choices there and even though they claim they're trying to get better you know this is this is a great example of sports washing here what they're trying to do they're they're trying to improve their image but but the bottom line is is that you know it's it's happening it's it's real and uh and and I think we need we probably need to deal with it the voice
2: of Bob Herrig again the live golf invitational series begins in London this weekend we've got Bob on here with us on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast because he got the first interview with Phil Mickelson prior to Phil joining this tour and this series I've got a follow-up I'm more concerned everybody's asking you every which direction about the golf implications you've done a great job answering for us about the golf part of it I love the nuts and bolts of how you got the story. I'm a sucker to watch all the president's men with Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman all the time on how did they get the story. So I love this. So you now write the story, you put the story out and you board your international flight. What was it like for you watching the social media reaction, getting the Twitter comments? I complimented you on Twitter. You answered me. You were answering a lot of people. What was that like for you flying from Detroit to England all night to be there for the Tuesday coverage of the golf? knowing you had this story out there, Bob?
0: I was really shocked by it, frankly. There was a ton of reaction. It was, it was the, rea- the kind of reaction you get when you do anything on Tiger. You know, in my world, the biggest reaction is always Tiger Woods. So, um, you know, coming back at the Masters, coming back at the PGA, uh, anything really related to Tiger gets a lot of attention. This rivaled or exceeded it, you know, is that big of a deal. Um, you know, and um, you know, look, I got pushback from some people. All oh, those questions are softball questions, or you know, I'm like, you know, it's, it's easy for you to say, but I had a, I had a list of the the of the of uh, on my computer. I had a list of the basic questions I thought we all wanted to ask. I did follow up on a few of them. You know, I think when you've done this long enough, you know, there comes a point when it does you no good to keep pushing. Because especially when you have a short amount of time, which I did, you know, they could have easily cut it off. You know, it was it was sort of like a Zoom call. And um, so uh, I thought I, you know, I tried to, as best I could to, to cover the main topics. There's one question I forgot to ask that I meant to and really wanted to, which was. Did the PGA Tour ever suspend you? We, we've speculated about that. Mm hmm. Lots of thoughts both ways. The tour never announces sanctions. It's really an issue that, frankly, that, that's, that hurts them at times. This is a great example of it. Why would you suspend a guy and not tell anybody? How, how does that curb bad behavior? And then it leads to all kind of speculation. Because if he wasn't suspended, it's unfair. So anyway, that was kind of the one thing I missed out on. Hopefully I can ask him it to, on, uh, on Wednesday. Sure. But, um, anyway, yeah, that's, that's kind of that's how it went down.
2: John, anything else for Bob Herrig of SI.com? Because I know it's late in England at the time we're talking to him before we release the podcast. You got something else for Bob?
3: Yeah. What do you think it is about Mickelson that has resulted in the public scorn toward him? Is it just because of how inflammatory his words were? Or is there a level of expectation of stars like Phil... And LeBron uh, with China, you know, stars who come into our homes and we kind of see them over the years that they should somehow be above the fray where we hold no, you know, owners to that standard at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is that. But listen, I found a lot of reaction from people that have no problem with the Saudi influence. They bring up things I've talked about before, China. You know, you know the US government kills people too? You know, that kind of stuff. You know this hey you know wouldn't you take the money if somebody was offering it to you you know if the you know, TJ if the Saudi Buccaneers gave you the sideline job in the <laughs> sand over there and it was for ten times what you're making more would you do it you'd I mean have this to be-
2: consider you'd have to consider uh, getting some suntan spray yes maybe it's
0: easy for us to sit here and and criticize these guys but what if it were you right I think we're Phil Ran into more trouble was his obnoxious greed comment about the PGA Tour. He came off really bad in that. Phil's made $95 million playing PGA Tour. Now, granted, that's not Steph Curry money, mm-hmm. but it's a pretty darn good lifestyle, you know, plus all the money he's made off the course. You know, that has been his platform. You don't have a Hall of Fame record without a record to judge or judge it against. That's been the PGA Tour, and he he referred to them as obnox as as having obnoxious greed. Well, what is it when you know you're signing a deal with these guys over here for 125 million plus, and you've probably made eight or nine hundred million in your career already? So that I think really rubbed people the wrong way. It was and it was it was it was pretty vicious, um, and while. He, And and frankly, it covered up or or overshadowed some probably some points that he had that were that were legit. He had some valid points about the tour, just didn't uh, didn't come off very well. So I think that's where that stems from.
2: All right. I know you've got to go, and we do as well. Just a couple of more briefly, real quick. At the time we're talking to you, Tiger Woods has announced on Tuesday that physically he cannot play the U.S. Open. He's notified them as such. We have the controversy about whether or not the players on this Live Golf Series are going to be allowed to play in the majors. The USGA that runs the U.S. Open for the men and the women and all the events, the seniors, all the events, they have announced they will allow anybody that's qualified to be in so, Bob, give me your thought here. Do you believe that Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson, and you may know this, and you may be reporting this, and you may be about to break this on SI.com, do you believe they're going to go ahead and play the U.S. Open in two weekends, Father's Day weekend, because of the events of Tuesday? What's your educated speculation here? Because that's been a big question mark on whether the guys in the breakaway tour will be welcome back to the majors. Real quick, Bob.
0: Well, the US, the U.S. Open has said they can play, so I'm sure they will. You know, and that's been the big question about this is is somehow are these guys not going to be able to play in the majors? And the USGA made a made a very, very good point. How can we change the rules at this point? They qualified. We had our criteria set before this year. Everybody kind of knows, you know, what it is. You know, obviously, Phil won the PGA last year. That gave him a five year exemption. Dustin Johnson won the won the US Open in 2016. That gives you 10 years. Plus he's qualified in about five other ways, FedEx cup world ranking. You're going to say that they can't go play just because you don't like what they're doing. You know, look, we might not like what they're doing, but the fact of the matter is they haven't broken any laws and the PJ tour doesn't run golf. The PJ tour is one entity in golf. One of many, obviously a very big one and very good one. So, um, You know, going forward, might they change their rules to make it harder to get in if you're not on the PGA Tour? Um, I think people would see right through that. Um, Don't they want to have the best players? You know, would you want the U.S. Open to go off next week without Phil Mickelson, even though Phil's not been great lately? Dustin Johnson, who just won the Masters two years ago. Uh, Sergio Garcia won the Masters in 2017. Louis Oosthuizen was second to John Rahm last year. In fact, he contended in three majors last year. Oosthuizen, he's not going to get to play him because you don't like he's that he's going to play this rival league. That would probably be a bad look. So, um, you know, but going forward, now it'll it'll be interesting because you know the tour would love for them to 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 not allow it because that that would give the tour a lot more leverage.
2: Love the insight, John. I know you share this with me. We say thank you. We bow to Bob Herrig, not only for getting the story, but for coming on with us on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast from the hotel in England. Bob is still <laughs> trying to figure out what time it is. Can I have dinner? I got the tournament to cover. I just got here. We need to plug the book a- as well. It is Tiger and Phil Golf's most fascinating rivalry. Bob's new book is out everywhere. Amazon, wherever you get books, right, Bob? Absolutely. Yep. Thank you. And and we encourage everybody to get that. John, any final words in saying thanks to Bob?
3: Yeah, well, of course, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see going forward a lot of big names, Sergio Garcia, you know, uh, it's fascinating to see how this will be resolved and looking forward to reading your reporting about it.
0: Thanks no, a lot, John. I appreciate it.
2: No doubt about it. And by the way, they're coming to the United States to play several events. And Bob, you've heard the rumblings. I, I'm at the lower level here in Romans. There will be other names that are going to try this. I think later in the summer, safe to say, right, right. Real quick and closing. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, you know,
0: some guys will see how this goes and they'll say, Hey, I want to, I want a piece of that, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how many and and, and, and how big the names are.
2: Go check out SI.com and Bob Herrick's coverage of the Live Invitational Golf Series this weekend in London, as well as all of his great coverage of the PGA Tour, the major championships. I officially owe you dinner somewhere in Pinellas County. When we're back together, Bob's in St. Pete, Clearwater, Pinellas County. I'm in Tampa, Hillsborough County. Whenever my Champa Bay brother from another mother gets back into the area, dinner on me for posting here on the podcast. Thank you, sir.
0: Awesome. Thanks, TJ.
2: All right, John Lewis. uh, Again, I'm very appreciative of of Bob popping on wrap up thoughts on all that he had to say there. Again, I'm I'm most fascinated by how he got the story. I had no idea that we interviewed him. He did it in the Detroit airport with like a 20 minute window. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty amazing. But, you know, my thought is about the media coverage and obviously it's such a toxic organization Will we see ESPN, Fox, CBS involved? I believe it'll be streaming on YouTube. Now, obviously, does that mean YouTube is a rights partner or does it mean that YouTube is the platform that it'll be streaming on, right? Uh, I haven't seen any announcement about YouTube engaging in a deal with mm-hmm. this. So, you know, how toxic is this going to be? It is very, you know, look, I mean, let's be real. The, you know, it's, there's a, there's certainly a lot of, uh, questionable morality at play here, but there's questionable morality at play in literally every single aspect of this industry. So it is odd, the selective aspect it's what's really odd about it is, you know, it seems to me like a lot of this is from people on the PGA tour who are upset about him starting a new organization or being part of a new organization rather than the Saudi aspect. And, you know, that's not I mean, like him wanting to compete with the PGA Tour is not at all, you know, objectionable. There's nothing morally wrong with that. Mm -hmm. So I do question, you know, where the outrage is coming from and, you know, what is motivating it?
2: Re- real quick, just to clarify what you mean. So the Golf Channel is the entity that covers the game as well as televises the game. They're going to have to cover the game, uh, cover this event as a news outlet. Mm-hmm. How much are they interested in ever talking to them about showing it that and broadcasting it? That's totally different. ESPN, kind of the same way. They cover sports as well as televise it. You mentioned the toxic part. Are you going to go down the road of negotiating to show these things because the PGA Tour's response may be, OK, we're not going to ever allow you to broadcast our stuff now that you did that. That could happen. I'm not saying it will happen, but that's the point you were meaning uh, on that. So that just that's going to leave us in just a second into love it or leave it. Do I dare say that you're going to love this enough to at least peek at it some online and elsewhere and see how it goes this week? Is that fair? I'm going to watch some of it. Are you going to peek at it a little bit?
3: Uh, I might peek at the Sunday of the masters. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, golf for me, I'll tune in for the major events that are established. I have no interest in some random new thing. I don't care who's in it. You know, I'm just, for me, uh, you know, I only figured out the rules of golf within the last decade. So, you know,
2: And one of the golden rules is whoever has the gold or the money makes the rules. And we're seeing a lot of that with Saudi golf, Uh, a transition from there on to let's do it officially love it or leave it wrapping up the podcast with a little love it or leave it. Okay. Stanley cup playoffs TNT has now concluded their run with the sweep by Colorado of Edmonton. So Colorado in the Stanley cup final, it ends TNT's coverage, including Kenny Albert, Eddie Olchek, Uh, Keith Jones, Darren Pang that were on the call from the games in Edmonton. It all wraps up. Love it or leave it real quick on their coverage just for a second.
3: Well, you know, obviously they had the advantage of having all the NBC people. Um, You know, it was very interesting. I caught a little bit of the pregame show yesterday and Gretzky walked into a room of young, young players, uh, I guess a minor league team and They were all, you know, observing him. And then Gretzky stepped aside and let the real show in, Bissonnette, (laughs) and they started cheering. And it is so interesting. Mm. Bissonnette on Barstool probably means so much more to those kids and Gretzky, who we all know is the greatest Mm. of them all, but who hasn't played since 1999 before a lot of them were born. So that's just fascinating to me. Great Uh, point. I know a lot of people on social media hate Bissonette, think he's a terrible guy. I'll be real. I don't know anything in his background at all. Former player,
2: former Ryan. player briefly in the NHL, has some credibility.
3: But, you know, he's, the been bar's over cool the top,
2: he's been an over the top clown, though, on a lot of these broadcasts, including shaving his head the other night. I'd rather hear from Wayne. And I know Wayne was pain because he's an Edmonton oiler. first and foremost to watch them lose and lose in a sweep when they got so close to getting back to the Stanley cup final. So that's part of it. Yeah. I I, I hear you.
3: But you know, I mean, like, I I don't know anything about this I don't know anything he said in the past. Me, me personally, you know, I'm not looking for, you know, to, to dig through someone's, you know, history for any reason. All I know is what he did, uh, you know, uh, in the studio. Yes. There is certainly a clownish aspect in terms of the shaving of the head and everything, but you know, he does seem like the straw that stirs the drink over there. I mean, he's not Barkley or anything, but he does seem like the show is perfectly fine without him. It was fine with Hendrick Lunquist, right? You know, uh Hendrik who probably could, you know, show up on one life to live or you know, days of our lives and do pretty well, right? <laughs> but you know,
2: uh are you saying I, Rick Tockett with the bald head like TJ doesn't have the same opportunity? Probably not. Us bald guys, uh, I don't know. Bald bald might have some appeal somewhere i know what you mean by that though yeah the model the models get the chance at all the at all the glam hey can i on the love it or leave it I, I i leave it right now with espn's coverage they don't have the studio show on site at madison square garden or tampa that that's a big leave it to me turner had their studio shot, uh, site um on, on location I, I would assume stanley cup final steve levy Fine. mark messia chris chris chelios will be there Wherever it is. The other thing I don't like as much is Ray Ferraro being in the glass as the mm-hmm. only other analyst instead of beside Sean McDonald yeah. with a third person in the glass. John, what's your thought on that? Not having the analyst right beside the play by play guy. I think it takes away a little bit from their chemistry in the broadcast. Your thought, real quick?
3: Yeah, it is weird. I know NBC used to do that from time to time. Uh, so it's not abnormal. I just don't get it because Emily Kaplan is there in the glass too. So, what is the point? Just, you know, uh, I, I do think more chemistry will be better. Um, as far as the studio show not traveling, it's noticeable, right? TNT's having a party every night. You go to ESPN's tiny little, you know, closet studio. Right. It's 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 like what it's about as many square feet as the most luxurious Boston apartment. Right. Uh, So like 200. Let's
2: go over to Brian Boucher over here to show us about the goalies. And it literally looks like he's doing it in a little side part of the room, whereas the the Turner studio for the NBA looks like a penthouse to your analogy on the room Mm -hmm. that Kenny Smith and anybody else has in that thing.
3: It's a lot smaller in person if you've ever been there uh, than it looks on TV. But I imagine, I mean, the Turner studio for the NHL is so much bigger as well. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, so ESPN, it's like they got this tiny little room. And, you know, look, ESPN back in the day before they had the rights, uh, I'm, I am I know this isn't true, but it feels like they made Steve Levy and Barry Melrose pay their own way to get to the cup <laughs> final. Right. Because, I mean, they never had a studio, they they, they never had a a, a desk. They were always standing
2: in front of the banner in the hallway to your point. Because, but part of that, and we don't have 15 minutes to go down the road, is that was the anti ESPN trying to stick it to the NHL. You won't be our TV partner. So, we're going to do this the minimal way possible. It's better than having them outside on the street holding up a little sign that says ESPN, but not much better than that. What they used to do, where they I agree with you, where they were standing in the hallway with a banner behind them, broadcasting like it's 1988. Crazy.
3: Yep. I, they probably didn't even pay the pay for the flights. <laughs> probably had to drive to the each game. Right. <laughs> you
2: know? All right. But, let's move. Let's yeah. move on from that. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Okay. I don't know. Are you watching the college world series for the ladies? Are you watching the NCAA tournament baseball? That's about to be in the super regionals and eventually be the college world series, college baseball coverage for you, John Lewis, love it or leave it.
3: Well, I don't even know how the rules work. Honestly, Uh, I'm only just now figuring out that it's what best of three in the regionals. And Mm -hmm. I don't even know, you know, uh, it's impossible to keep track of because the games aren't even all scheduled the same day. If you win one game, then you play again later in the day. It's, uh, you know, so no, I'm I'm not I'm not watching it. I'm barely able to keep up on on figuring out what time the games are.
2: But when it gets to the World Series, it gets a little easier, and even that is double yeah. elimination and can be confusing. But it's only eight teams to keep up with. And the ladies' college World Series playing out this weekend. Men's college World Series will play out next weekend. No uh, later later after this. Later, later. Uh, actually, two weekends right? Yeah. Two weekends. From end now of uh, right.
3: end of the month. Yeah. Uh, so you got Oklahoma and Texas. That's always a good matchup, uh, but obviously Oklahoma is so good and Texas is unseated as far as I'm, or unranked. So you would expect that to be a sweep, right? I mean, I know Oklahoma just had to go the, uh, the distance yesterday, but uh, as far as the men go, you know, I mean, I don't know, let's figure it out when it's eight teams left and then I'll come up with an opinion.
2: All right, so we've got some, and they do play a best of three now. They used to play the double elimination true all the way through, but they now ESPN realized, hey, make this a two- or three-night event here, best of three, when you get to the end of the softball World Series and the, uh, and the guys and the college World Series in Omaha, make it a best of three at the end. One more topic. Love it or leave it. I went out with the family to the beach. Again, I live in the Tampa Bay area, so the beach is prominent here. The beach is not everywhere, but at least it's in the area where we we are, a big tourist area. I had some seafood last night. I had some tuna. Love it or leave it on the seafood. Quick draw. Lobster? Love it or leave it? Lobster guy,
3: John Lewis? No, there's a lot of anaphylactic shock that goes through my family. So so
2: shellfish, uh, shellfish that you kind of stay away from. Uh, Mm -hmm. On Do you enjoy fish? Do you have any I, you fish know. that you like or love? Yeah.
3: Salmon. I don't salmon mind salmon. Good. Yeah, I enjoy salmon. Uh, what, sauce, eating, uh, what
2: sauce do you have to have with the salmon? I had a little teriyaki with the tuna last night. No what sauce. sauce. Does it matter? No, no. sauce needed? No, no, uh, no like uh, cream sauce or anything like that? Uh, just just the it?
3: salmon with, you know, obviously something with it. Right,
2: but, what do you got to have with it? Little rice, yeah, little rice potato. potatoes,
3: yeah something like that All right. but uh you know it's more of a health thing right it's supposed to be the the good cholesterol right so allegedly you're...
2: and it's supposed to be good for the brain although some well, would say do would disagree with me that i eat a lot of fish and it may not necessarily help me if yeah. that's the case but allegedly it's supposed to be good i was just curious on the seafood uh no. for you uh on that other than that I think we got a pretty full show. We want to say thank you again to Bob Herrig. I, I, I got to say again publicly that I was trying to get a hold of him most of Tuesday. He finally did get back to me because he'd been covering the event, John Lewis, and said, I have been inundated. When can we do this? We worked it out with him five hours ahead. I know you joined me in saying thanks yes, that he worked absolutely. out a few minutes with us on the podcast, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Really appreciate it. Some great insights and uh, you know, hopefully uh, the start of uh, more guests
2: yes and we will and we will continue to effort to do that as the summer goes along john thanks enjoy the weekend with the finals cranking back up we'll know the stanley cup finals probably by this time next week who joins the avalanche will it be my Champa Bay lightning will it be the new york rangers who have not been in the stanley cup final since 2014 who have not won it since standard definition tv back in 1994 if the if the rangers can get there but my lightning are trying to be in the way we'll know that next week john thanks we'll talk to you next week as well
3: no problem and of course the avalanche haven't been there in 21 years
2: wow so there is some way back going for the stanley cup that'll be on espn for the first time what since 2004, 2004 right when my lightning won it uh, 18 well, years ago. The it's Flames
3: ago. won it, but, you know, they waved off the goal, right? Wasn't that what happened?
2: That with game six. There was still a yeah. game seven, John. It's just like the Buckner yeah. play. There was still a game seven that Calgary could have won, too, wow. while we're at that. Uh, for now, though, I think we're good. We thank Bob Herrick of SI.com being with us. Uh, again, follow or subscribe on this feed. George Offman's podcast out there with Wayne Messmer, the anthem singer in Chicago. Mike Gill, Phil DeMont Molan with announcers schedule the podcast, and they've got some great guests it all if you follow us or subscribe on this feed. Read John on the site as well, sportsmediawatch.com. For now, we're good. Thanks for being with us.
0: Bye. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime.